Chapter 43 I am a criminal Do you remember me Samudra Kumari Remember you Ponnin Selva What a question to ask my prince after thousands of years lost in each other our souls intertwined our hearts mingled forever Dare you ask if I remember or perhaps it's you who has forgotten forgotten the many years spent in my boat Ah when we rode into the heart of the ocean bobbing gently upon white tipped waves aware of nothing but our own exhilaration and then suddenly black clouds rolled around us blotting out the sun and we stood up in our rocking craft clutching each other's hands you've forgotten the eons we spent just the two of us haven't you forgotten the raging storm that battered the seas the screaming gales churning waves which raised our little craft right to the very heavens one moment flinging us right to the pathalam the very next and the endless days we spent drawing strength from each other and riding out the cyclone and then one day we flew alongside the birds in the sky have you forgotten that too you gathered a handful of sparkling stars and set them in my hair diamonds in my dark tresses You even caught up the Purna Chandra and held it to my face. There, gaze at your lovely golden countenance upon this silver plate. You said, and you have forgotten. Once you dived down to the very depths of the ocean while I waited, heart hammering in my chest. Soon you reappeared, hands overflowing with lustrous, glowing pearls and corals, and strung them around my neck in a necklace. You might have forgotten these momentous events, but. how could i how could i forget your highness those luxurious afternoons we lay upon lush grassy forest floors drinking each other in while the tree branches above us bent with the weight of fragrant flowers making a scented arbor as they leaned towards the surface of lakes gleaming with blue waters how could i forget the hundreds of nightingales singing sweet songs with their mates while a thousand bees buzzed in accompaniment and a hundred thousand butterflies fluttered their delicate silken wings that shone like jewels dancing in ecstatic abandonment they're etched in my heart my prince no matter how many lives i live and you look upon me and ask me if i remember you how could you of course i remember you ayya i remember you very well indeed Thus did Pungarelli's naive heart lament, stuttering with the need to pour out eloquent thoughts, but her coral lips betrayed her. Yes, was all they could murmur. Ah, well, you speak at last, daughter of the oceans. I have seen so many heart-wrenchingly beautiful goddesses and fairy beings chiselled on the pillars of countless mansions and palaces in this island. For a moment I wondered if you were one of them a figure of stone thankfully you spoke just now and broke that illusion do me a favor and continue my heart yearns for the sound of your melodious voice now you seem to have given the senadipati news two large warships lie concealed in the tondeiman river and they are full of soldiers this is true isn't it samudra kumari asked the prince You did see those vessels, didn't you? Yes, indeed, Aya, with my own eyes," she said. "I can hear a little more of your voice now. My ears are gladdened. Very well. 
To proceed, you'd paddled into a small canal once you'd caught sight of the ships. You intended to lie concealed within the dense forest until they left. This was when a few soldiers disembarked and came ashore, near where you were secreted in fact. You didn't really wish to listen to their talk, but they were so close that you couldn't help but overhear. This is what you related to Senadipati, isn't it? I told him exactly what I'd heard and seen. Naturally, your first instinct when you understood the essence of their speech was to communicate a warning to the commander. You left the moment the soldiers had gone apart and made your way to the Senadipati as fast as you could. By the way, how did you manage that, Samudra Kumari? Half the way in my boat and the rest, I, I, I walked through the forest. And your intended destination, Amma? Madhutam at first, as I had understood that the Senadipati could be found there, but on my way, I heard that he was in Mahindalai. Oh, the trouble I went to just to manage an audience with him, and Pungurali turned to glare in the Bodhivikramakesari's direction, her eyes glinting with the power and fury of summer lightning. I lost count of the number of people who barred my path. Meeting with the commander is no easy task. If you only knew the trouble my friend over here went through to accomplish the same thing, well, you'd be astonished. Be that as it may, the very fact that you were stubborn enough to ignore the obstacles, meet him and deliver your news says a great deal. But would you mind repeating your message to me, Pungurali? What were those soldiers talking about when you were listening from within the foliage? My, my tongue falters at the very thought, Your Highness. Do anyway, for my sake. They said that they'd come to take you, take you prisoner. Upon whose command were they bent upon this mission? Was that mentioned? I, I didn't believe it. I thought it very likely the Parvetarius wicked plot. You may divulge your suspicions later. Do keep to the subject and tell me exactly what they said, Samudra Kumari. That it was the Chakravarti's command. Excellent. And the reason for such an order? Did they mention that too by any chance? Yes, that that you, you conspired with the Buddhist monks of this island and tried to crown yourself king. Oh, I wanted to murder those wretched excuses for men with my own hands when I heard this. What a thing to say, my girl. You ought to know surely that the Chakravartis and boys ought not to be uh, mauled. <laughs> Very well. Is there anything else of importance that you remember from their conversation? That the Senadipati mustn't know of this on any account, for he tried to help you escape. They'd have to find a way to seek you in person, deliver the Chakravarti's command and escort you themselves. Which was why you decided to move heaven and earth to find the commander at once, I suppose. You have done me an unimaginable service, Samudra Kumari. Now, pray stand aside, for I must discuss certain matters of great importance with these men. But don't run away like last time, or make me send Vandya Tevar to retrieve you. The daughter of the oceans obligingly moved and concealed herself behind a pillar. This time she chose a spot which would let her have an unobstructed view of his face. Two bees had tumbled headfirst into a pot of honey. They floundered to the rim and then began to glory in the exquisite taste of nectar. 
Pongurali's eyes found themselves in such a convenient, blissful position from where they could delight and drown themselves in the sweetness of the prince's chiseled, handsome features. Her heart, however, was a different matter. It fluttered within her, unwilling to remain silent. Her soul had tasted a little of heaven and was brimming with such ecstasy that it wished to break free and fill the very universe. You're the chief of a clan that has bound itself to ours for generations, Ayya. The prince now addressed himself to Senadipati Bodhi Vikramakesari. One of my father's closest friends and I certainly never considered you any different from him. You, on your part, never treated me any less than your own son. For which reason, I must make to you a petition. The prince opened his gambit. Pray don't stop me from carrying out my duty. Before the stunned commander could think of a rejoinder, he whipped around to meet Parthibindran squarely in the eye. By the same token, Ayya, I must make you this request. You are my esteemed elder brother's dear friend. My brother's counsel is no less in my opinion than God's own, and I treat yours the same way. I beg of you now. Please don't stand in the way of doing what I believe to be my duty. Parthivendran and the Senadipati glanced at each other, their eyes conveying their fear and concern simultaneously. I am afraid I do not understand the import of these words, Your Highness, began the commander. I am one of those who have spent a majority of their lives on the battlefield. Men such as I have never been experts in the art of dissembling. You speak of carrying out your duty. Pray tell us what exactly this may be and how you propose to accomplish it. My duty, as I see it now, is to submit to my father's command. He sent two warships with soldiers to imprison me. Why must I importune them needlessly? There's no need for them to wander all over this isle for me. I propose to give myself up. This, in my opinion, is what I ought to do. Never! Parthibindran barked at once. I shan't even think of allowing this as long as there's life in this body. Be warned that I shall do everything in my power to stop you. Pray calm yourself for a moment, the commander counseled Parthibendran and turned towards the prince. You explained your duty in some detail, Ayya. Now pray allow me to describe mine. I am the last man representing the illustrious Kodumbalur Velir clan. The others embraced death in service to the Chora Samrajyam, almost all of them in one battlefield or the other. Who knows, someday, this might be my fate as well. I must, therefore, beg of you to listen to my words with as much patience as you can muster. Last year, the Chakravarti named you the Madanda Nayakar of the Southern Chora Armed Forces. You, my prince, who had spent a lifetime in the luxury of royal palaces until then. He sought a personal audience with me. The prince's departure feels as though my very soul is being wrenched from my body. And yet, to keep him chained to this palace just to satisfy my whims would be unhealthy. He must leave the confines of this city and prove himself a warrior, just as his brother did before him. But should some danger threaten him, ah, my life shall depart that very instant. Yours shall be the responsibility of keeping him from harm. Does it make any sense that the emperor, your honored father, who placed such an onerous charge on me last year, would simply turn around and issue commands to imprison you. And what indeed has been your crime that merits such punishment? 
to accuse you of plotting and scheming to grab Ilangai. How absurd! A fabricated piece of outrageous nonsense. Who would even believe that? The prince, who had been listening politely enough to the Kodumbalur Periyavelar's impassioned speech until now, judged it the right moment to intervene. I can't comment on who might or might not believe it, but I certainly can. What on earth do you mean, Your Highness? That it's true. I did conspire to seize the throne of Ilangai. But what's this that you say, Aya? Vandyatevan demanded now, taking a step forward. Until some time ago, you were droning about Satyam and Dharmam, and now here we are, uttering such enormous lies that... Senadipati, pray don't heed a single word he says. Last night, the Buddhist Mahasabha did offer him the throne, crown and scepter of Ilangai. His Highness refused to accept. I and this Vaishnavite right here were witness to this. He finished breathlessly. Allow me to put forth a question, Vandyatevare. A slight teasing smile appeared on Ponin Selvar's face. Do men who plot and scheme usually do so in the presence of witnesses? Did it ever occur to you that I might have refused the throne of Ilangai precisely because of your presence? Vandyatevan subsided, dazed at this apparent possibility. In case you are still plagued by suspicion, my Vanar warrior, kindly clarify with your Vaishnavite companion. The prince elaborated, still with the rather mysterious smile on his face. Ask him about Chief Minister Aniruddha Brahmarayar's message. The Buddhist monks of Anuradhapuram will likely offer you the throne of Ilangai. Refuse in the presence of witnesses. This was his instruction. You may confirm the truth of it with Tirumalai. The assembled gathering was stunned into silence. Kindly listen to me, Aya. The prince turned to the Senadipudi once more. I did once cherish the great ambition of ruling this pretty island. And I blame my sister for lighting in me that fire. That fire that eventually grew into a blazing inferno. Your palms possess the signs of the conch and Diskastambi, she would say. You are destined to rule an empire, but this isn't the place for you. Depart for Ilangai at once and seize its throne for yourself. The words might vary, but her sentiments never did. And she made sure to fan my desire into flames at every opportunity. And therefore, I am a criminal. The Chakravarti wasn't far off the mark when he branded me one and ordered my arrest. Now, just a moment, your highness. If these were your sentiments regarding Ilangai, then this island ought to consider itself truly fortunate. Neither you nor your honored elder sister Ilayaparati is to be held responsible. Rather, it is the emperor himself who must shoulder the blame, if blame indeed there be, which I do not accept for one moment. He has spoken to me more than once of his desire to see you grace the Ilangai throne, and it was he, in fact, who brought up the subject first with Kundavai Devi. Your sister is guilty of no crime but that of conveying your father's wishes to you, which clears you of any culpability whatsoever. By the same token, Aya, surely there can be no objection to go to my father. I could tell him everything that happened and these two shall corroborate my account. As to what comes next, well, it shall be my duty to abide by his wishes, whatever they may be. We are wasting time with these pointless speeches, Senadipati. Parthibendran's voice sparkled with barely controlled fury. Oh, I've said this before. There's no point in beating about the bush. 
It's time and more that we lay the truth and the complete truth before the prince. Now, which of us should perform this office, do you think? Leave it to me and pray. Do cultivate a little patience, counseled the Senadipadi. Next, he did a rather peculiar thing. He looked about him furtively and then turned to the prince. I tried with all my power to keep this, well, frankly unsavory episode from sullying your ears, your highness. But my efforts seem to have been in vain. I see now that I shall have to broach this extremely distasteful subject to you. You know, undoubtedly, that Periyaparavetariyar has, at this late date, married a woman by name Nandini. This female, your highness, is nothing but a witch armed with the most hideous and dangerous black magic. It is no secret that she has ensnared Periyaparavetariyar using a variety of spells and has him groveling at her feet. He, for his part, has no compunction in carrying out every fell command she delivers. Imagine the fate of this courageous old man, born into an ancient and valorous clan, now the bearer of this blemish. None of this is exactly news to me, Senadipati, the prince objected. Surely all of Choranade has been talking of this for months. But that is not all. Thus far, it was only Paravetariyar who lay intoxicated, but now... Forgive me, your highness, but... But it now appears that she has begun casting her devious spells upon the Chakravarti himself. Can it be wondered at that he has sent warships to arrest you? Careful now, commander. The prince's low voice held a hint of menace. Not a word against my father's honor. Whatever his commands and the circumstances surrounding them, I shall consider them God's own. And we do not refute this, your highness. Yet the fear that it isn't just the Chakravarti's honor, but his very life that is in danger, does terrify us. Why, I myself did not know the truth about Nandini until yesterday, when Parthipendra made known the whole. And now, it is essential that you are in possession of these facts as well. That last final battle in the vicinity of Madurai three years ago. Well, Parthibendra, your brother Aditya Karigalar and I were in council almost every moment planning each detail of the campaign. The Pandya forces were annihilated. Veera Pandyan fled the field and tried to hide away just as he had done once before. We were determined that it must not happen and this time we had sworn not to enter Tanjavu without his head as a trophy. We decided that such an onerous task could not be entrusted to another and to accomplish it ourselves. We followed the foe and discovered that he had holed up in a hut near a small temple. Your brother bade us guard the entrance and went in. When he walked out, he held Veerapandian's severed head in his hands. We returned ecstatic that our task was now complete. But we were ignorant, Aya of the small, incredible drama that had unfolded within the hut in those few moments. The young woman sheltering Veerapandian begged your brother to spare her lover. Your brother kicked her away and chopped off the enemy's head. That woman, the one who dared to plead for the life of Choranada's most dangerous foe, was none other than Nandini, your highness. And she indeed is the one who married the 70-year-old Paruvetariyar and now lords it over everyone as the Paruvu Rilayarani. 
one may now guess her purpose her all consuming ambition in making her home here can we not for what else can it be but to gain a bloody revenge for veera pandian's execution to tear out the chora clan by its very roots no one in her presence has ever failed to be caught in the snare of her considerable beauty vandya devan here can attest to this as for the terrible group of conspirators who have sworn complete annihilation of the choras ah the many tales our vaishnavite can tell who else but nandini could have kept them rolling in the wealth they are required to fund these treacherous plots and now it seems that our illustrious chakravarti himself has fallen victim to that wily witch's dangerous lures rumors of his wishes to place madurandagan upon the throne have reached our ears therefore your highness it is my considered opinion that this is hardly the right time for a visit to tanjay i'm stunned at what i've heard so far senadipati but this has only served to reaffirm my decision if this be the mire my father has sunk in if these are the terrible perils that surround him then my place is by his side what does the throne of ilangai matter or even this petty life no there's no reason to hesitate and let no one dare to stop me either finished the prince most majestically and then his eyes swiveled eventually resting upon pungurali who had been standing by the pillar watching him unblinkingly come here a moment samudra kumari she took a few slow steps forward you have done me a great service by bringing your message my girl but now i require a little more of your assistance began the prince you'll oblige me won't you what's all this surely a fantastic dream i came here hoping to help him in any feeble way i could and here he is asking for my assistance this petty little boat girl i came hoping for a boon from god but here is my deity holding out his hands begging me for arms these thoughts flitted through her mind even as her lips uttered the words your slightest wish shall be my command your highness you inform me of the two warships that lay concealed at the mouth of the tondeman river sent for arresting me didn't you i wish to reach them at once the prince paused will you be my guide refuse girl growled a voice from somewhere and then it took pungurali a moment to recognize that it belonged to the senadipati it was only then that the besotted young woman lost in some exotic fairy dream so far realized the appalling complications of her position had she paddled over tumbling rivers stumbled over hills and dale to warn the prince about the horrible peril that awaited him only to be asked to deliver him right into its gaping jaws now she understood the full import of that growled out refuse girl from the senadipati for a thousand thousand voices echoed the same command the trees rustled the pillars of the mandapam groaned and rumbled the birds on the branches shrieked and twittered refuse but stay what was this feeble gentle voice in her heart wait pungurali murmured this voice think for here's your chance do as the prince asks and you could be in his company for two whole days you shall be by his side you could gaze at him as long as you wish without his knowledge the breeze that touches him will caress you too his melodious voice will fall on your ears as often as even you could wish
at last you pitiful girl you will get a chance to fulfill the tiniest part of your hopeless futile fantasy as for what might happen next frankly who cares except pungreli you hesitate daughter of the oceans won't you help me the prince's voice held just the slightest hint of cajolery will i have to find my way to these ships all by myself this as far as pungreli was concerned clinched the issue i shall be your guide your highness she offered the loud pointed rasp with which senadipati bhudi vikramakesari cleared his throat then was something akin to the earth's loud rumble from its very depths just preceding a monumental earthquake far be it from me to stand in your chosen path your highness he announced portentously taking a step forward you ought however to accede to a request of mine until you reach these ships your safety is of paramount importance and therefore my responsibility your friends described at some length the attempts made on your life these assassins have not yet been caught we do not even know their identities forgive me for speaking plainly but i have my doubts even regarding this girl here she may well have done her part in assisting these murders perhaps her tall stories of two warships awaiting you are just that stories born of a creative fancy why not indeed a while ago your friend grabbed her dagger and threw it into the foliage where it clearly hit something or someone whose pained lament was it then the girl may act your guide by all means but she must travel upon our elephant i shall moreover accompany you until i see these precious ships in the tondeman river with my own eyes this your highness is my sworn duty and nothing can swerve me from it by all means commander there was a pronounced twinkle in the prince's eyes as he listened to this impassioned speech far be it from me to keep you from carrying out your sworn duty